Okay. All right. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you online. I want to thank uh, all of you who are responding on there as well. I appreciate you guys interacting because we want to make sure that's what we're doing here. Every Sunday morning is not just about me talking to you. That's not what we're here to do. It's about us engaging with one another, right? And this is part of it, sharing life together, right? And so I thank you for being open and honest because it's not easy to admit that you've blown something, is it? That's, That's one thing you want to forget. Now, as I was writing this up this week and as I was thinking through that question for myself, I had to think long and hard about that. As my wife will attest... I have very selective memory, all right? Very, very selective. I have no problem remembering all the good things in my life that ever have gone on, but for some reason, I don't know what it is, there's all these little bad things that just kind of slipped my mind. I don't even know they existed. I'm like this, you know, oh, everything was fine. (laughs) And then my wife will remind me, no, it was not. All these bad things were happening. I'm like, oh, I must just kick that memory to the curb. I don't know. So I had a hard time thinking about this this week, but I did uh, able to come up with at least one infamous moment in my life. Uh, I was 16, and uh, my dad, my grandfather, and some of my uncles and I were going out for a uh, paddle. We were going out to canoe, and uh, this was central Georgia, and um, so we were going out. It was the middle of summer. It was a great, great time. I love being on the water. I love paddling. And I'd gone out a number of different times before this with my dad, usually him in the back of the canoe, and I'm in the front. And he's kind of doing all the steering. Uh, but every once in a while, he let me slip to the back, and it's kind of teaching me the ropes. Well, for my 16th birthday, he gave me this, uh, this new, uh, beautiful 13-foot solo canoe. It was gorgeous. I still have it. It doesn't look gorgeous anymore, but it was, it was, I still have it from, that, from when I, he gave it to me. And I loved that boat. And I was like, oh, I can't wait. We're going on this big trip. We're going to go out for a couple of days. I can do it all by myself, right? I'm 16. I can drive a car. I can surely paddle a boat, right? This has got to be easy. And so we go out, and uh, we're going out and paddling. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, at 16, I'm a master. I, I, I can do anything, whatever, however, whenever. Just, just tell me what to do. I got it. And uh, so as far as this paddling thing was concerned, I got it down, right? I can do whatever you want me to in a boat, no problem. So we get on the water uh, for the first day. The water was running pretty high because it would have been some pretty heavy rains, and uh, there were some deadfall trees over the water. Um, and so it was a little tricky, but we all were managing okay, and I was doing great for the first day. And uh, then we kind of camped out, and we st- start, started going to day two. And then day two was going great until we got to this one section of the river that was a little tighter than the rest, and they had this big deadfall tree over the river there. And uh, we came to it, and it was like, all right, we've got to make a decision because the river's running fast. Either go left or you go right. Well, everybody else decided it was safer to go left. And I decided, well, I guess I can go right. I'll try to figure this out. I can make it work. And before I know it, I'm stuck, right? So here's this big, giant tree. And here's the thing. Here's the thing with rivers. You ever paddle? You probably know this, uh, but maybe you don't. And if you, even if you haven't paddled, you might not know this. The thing is, water keeps going, all right? There's no stopping water. Water will not stop for you. There is no break. There's, this is going to go. And if you're in a boat, a boat is an awesome, awesome uh, piece of equipment because it's going to do exactly what it's designed to do, which is float on the water that's always going. So it's always going to carry you. And that's fantastic as long as you're in control, right? Problems start when you can't be in control. So I, I had decided I was going to go right, and sadly I went right into the tree. And so this tree had a bunch of branches, and it wasn't just the big trunk. It was all these little branches to navigate. And here I am trying to go through that thing, and I run up underneath it. The, the river keeps going because the, the tree doesn't stop the river. The boat keeps going, and I don't. <laughs> I fall right out the back, right? Right out the back. I got dumped quick. I, I navigated the first limb okay. I thought, oh, this is, 
I got this, and I got under it. The second one went boop and just knocked me right off on my butt and out of the, out of the boat into the water. And uh, I was not happy uh, at all, as you can imagine. The boat kept going. I'm in the water. I have to swim. Thankfully, I was a pretty good swimmer. And so I had to swim and catch up to my boat. I lost all my stuff that I had in the boat, which just happened to have my wallet. I don't know why I was carrying that, but I had my wallet, which had my newly minted driver's license. I was so proud of. Uh, I was driving, had my new driver's license, and it was down in the bottom of a river in central Georgia. Only a few months after I got it. It was, it was such a shame. And then, not only all that, but then I had to, uh, I had to get out of the, of the water with my boat and stand up and, and just be totally embarrassed in front of all these men in my life who I had said, I got this, and I'd done great, and everything was working wonderful, and then I get dumped and just completely, completely embarrassed. My, uh, physically, I was fine. I didn't have anything wrong with me, but man, my ego was bruised. Oh, my goodness. I, again, to the point that I remember it to this day, I'd blown it, and I'd blown it just in public in front of everybody I really cared about. It was, it was, it was harsh. It's in times like that, and the ones all of you mentioned, again, I appreciate your honesty, that I think we all wish we could hit that undo button, right? You know, if you're putting together an email or a Word doc, you're like, oh, just undo, right? Or we could just rewind and just pretend it never happened and then just try again, right? (laughs) And just go back. Can we just do this all over again, right? I think we've all been there. I think if we're honest, some of us today may be still kind of hiding some of that shame uh, from whatever experience you've been in, in that moment, right? Maybe it's something that happened recently or maybe it's a long time ago, but you know that somehow it still eats at you especially when it's in, uh, in dealing with people, right, with the relationships or a work project, you kind of carry that shame along with you. You're kind of embarrassed by it even years after it happens. No one needs to tell you you did anything wrong, right, when you're in that moment. But you wonder, you're like, man, could something good come out of that? Is there any hope for me coming out of that bad situation, from that mistake I made, that total screw-up, that big time I blew it? Is there a way back to before? Is there hope? Of redemption. We're going to discover that answer today, and I'm going to cover a lot more like it in our latest series called The Characters of Easter. I'm looking forward to this because the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate every week, this is what this is, is a celebration of that moment, but it is especially true on Easter Sunday, and that moment changed the whole course of human history. But not only that, it changed the lives of those who were around Jesus when that history was being made. The stories of the crowd of characters that surrounded Jesus, I think, are so important to remember, but not only just to remember, but to be reminded of, to retell them, because their stories can change our stories, right? Their stories of how Jesus entered into their lives and changed everything can enter into our lives, and that experience, that story in his life can change our lives. So for the next four weeks, we're going to dive into the stories of four different characters of this, the greatest nonfiction story ever written. One of the most poignantly written stories is the story of Peter, a follower of Jesus who blew it, blew it big time. Does he have hope? Does he have hope of redemption? Is this failure final in his life? That's what we're going to explore this morning. So let's get into it. The beginning of Peter's story is kind of a lot like mine in the fact that you see him most often in a boat, all right? Everywhere you read, he's kind of out doing something. Now, he's not just paddling in a river for fun, but he's fishing on a lake for a living. And also, like my story, he wasn't quite 16, but he's probably in his young 20s by the time we meet him in the Bible. And so he's a young man, 
Young man who likes to fish. He's incredibly industrious, though. By the time he's in his 20s, young 20s, he's already married, right? And he's not just fishing for fun. He's got a commercial business. He's out there with partners. He's got lots of boats. He's got employees. He's got friends and family working with him and for him. He's catching and selling fish all over the whole country, all right? This fish would go all over the place. He was a big deal, right? He was working. And he was a very, very, very hard worker. Not only was he young, not only was he industrious, he was always working. You often see him a couple of times, particularly you see stories of him in the Bible. He was working all night long to make ends meet, right? He's got to provide for his family. So he'd be out fishing. If there's no fish, he's going to stay out there and fish until he gets something, right? He was always working very, very hard. And he was also pretty bold. And he often spoke a lot faster than he was thinking, right? He would call it like he saw it. Sometimes even would have been better to keep his mouth shut. So he was young, he was a hard worker, he was industrious, he was outspoken and brash. Sounds a lot like a lot of folks I know around here, right? You know anybody like that, right? Hard workers like to speak their mind. That sounds a lot like people I know around here, right? Maybe it's familiar. What may not be familiar to us is that he was born in a country ruled by another country. In his case, he was born into the land of Israel that was ruled by Rome, right? And they were conquerors. And they had taken over his whole country. Everything that, that his, his family and heritage had was, to, was ruled by someone else. Now, Peter's family, like many in this time and age, were very religious. And they knew the scripture. And they knew this, that God had told them that a Messiah would come, that a promised king would come to liberate them from the conqueror, the oppressor. They would bring them back, politically and religiously, to being restored to the way it was when the good times were rolling, right? To, to the times when King David were ruling. And so they were looking for this new Messiah, the, problem, the person that would come and deliver them from their mess, right? To deliver them from their conqueror. And during their lives, they had seen people come and go who claimed to be this Messiah. And usually they went at the end of a rope because, see, they were exciting rebellion against Rome and Rome didn't take too kindly when people stood up against them and so they would kill them pretty easily, pretty quickly. So these people were looking for a hope, but they didn't quite see it coming, right? They kept thinking, oh, is this the one? And that one would die. Like, oh, that's not it. When are we going to be liberated? They kept looking for the real thing. In the meantime, they worked. They kept their nose down. They kept it clean. They tried hard. In the meantime, Peter fished, right? And one day, as he was fishing, he was minding his business. He was working hard as he always does. His brother, Andrew, he ran up to him. He said, I got some exciting news, Peter. Let me tell you, we found the one. We found the one. The Messiah, the Savior has come and is called Jesus. Let me go take you to him. Let me go take you to him. Now, Peter, as, as many people in his day would have been skeptical again, right? Because so many people had come and gone. So many people had claimed to be the Savior, and so many people had died, and it was over. So Peter was probably looking at Andrew and saying, all right, Andrew, come on, really? We've done this, right? we played this game several times before. It's never panned out. So Andrew has to convince him. So Peter goes, and they briefly meet. Him and Jesus get together, and they talk. Nothing really changes, though. Peter goes back to fishing. Jesus leaves and moves on with his ministry, and life seems to go on for the next few months, as usual. As Peter's working, he keeps seeing and, and hearing Jesus as Jesus comes and goes to the area, and he kind of watches him off in the distance while he's on his boat, and he sees and hears Jesus doing some incredible miracles, and he's like, man, this guy seems different, but he's not quite sure if he's the one or not. He wasn't quite ready to give up everything for this man just yet. That was until 
one fateful day. Early in the morning, Jesus was by this big lake, all right? Peter's lake. <laughs> this is Peter's fishing lake. So Jesus was by this lake, and he was teaching early in the morning, and there was this big crowd of people, and they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and more and more came to hear Jesus because he was like this rock star, and they wanted to hear all these things he had to say because he was changing things. It was crazy. And so they crowded in, and Jesus was like, man, this is too much. I've got to step off and give everybody some space. I want to make sure everybody can hear. So he decided to get in a boat and back up into the water so everybody had more room. So guess what boat he chose? Peter's, right? He said, hey, Peter. Let me hop in your boat for a minute. I need to talk to these folks. Now, Peter had been out fishing all night. Him and his crew, they hadn't caught anything. Not a thing. They were tired. They were probably incredibly frustrated. They were probably irritable. If you've ever worked all night on a project and gotten nothing done, you understand that feeling, right? You ever done that in your life? Or, man, I've been working so hard and it feels like nothing has got accomplished, Right? That can be one of the most frustrating things in the world. So here comes Jesus saddling up. Hey, you've been out all night working. Let me hop in your boat. <laughs> you don't got nothing better to do. You're probably ready to go home and call it a day, sleep it off, and hope for better luck tomorrow. But no, I want to get in your boat this morning. They knew just enough about Jesus. They'd heard just enough stories to let him know they're right along. So they said, all right, come on. You can get in the boat with us. So Jesus teaches and teaches, and then he finally wraps it up, and then he says this. It's Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. If you have a Bible, you can look. If you have an app, you can pull it up there. If you don't, you can watch above me on the screen or right around here if you're watching online. Luke 5, verses 4 and 5, we're going to get to the rest in a minute, say this. Jesus said, Simon, which is Peter's other name, just so we're not confused. He said, put out into the deep, go way out. And then let down your nets for a catch. Peter, or Simon, both, answered. He said, Master, he said, we have told all night and got nothing. Right? We've took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now, I want to imagine this, all right? Let's just don't read this. Let's imagine this for a minute. Because I think we can imagine Peter or Simon, both as the same person, just two different names. We can imagine him probably rolling his eyes a little bit. He knows Jesus. He understands who he is to a, to a small degree. But I can imagine this is a professional fisherman, right? And here comes this Jesus, the son of a carpenter who knows nothing about fishing, last time we checked, and a Bible teacher, all right? Those are two not qualifying degrees to teach you how to fish, especially commercial, coming up and telling him what to do after he's been out all night and got nothing. It would almost be like me stepping into where you work and telling you how to finish a task and you going, yeah, sure. <laughs> you're not going to do that. If you're smart, you tell me to shut up, right? <laughs> I'm not going to go to Walt's work and hop in the truck and say, hey, Walt, why don't you shift another gear this time? Maybe it's going to work better for you. You're like, hush, mind your business. I know what I'm doing over here, right? That's what you would do. And you'd be smart for doing so because I don't have a thing. I don't know a thing about tread driving, right? So Jesus gets into this professional fisherman's boat and say, hey, why don't you go out there? Peter's like, we didn't take anything. There's nothing here. If there's a fish in this lake, I would have found it. It's my job, right? He says, Fine. I'll give it a shot. Why not? So they get out. Verse 6 says, When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. There was so much. And so they signaled to their partners, verse 7 says, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats so much they began to even start sinking. It was so many fish. Verse 8 says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees in the boat, and he said, Depart from me, for I'm, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. 
Verse 9 says, For all who were with him were astonished. They were just blown away at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, he said, Do not be afraid. He said, From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, at that moment, they left everything and they followed him. On the surface, this doesn't seem like it'd be enough to convince Peter and the rest of the fishermen. We've got to remember, again, these are professionals. If there was fish in that lake, they were going to do it. They had grown up on it. They knew how to do it. They were going to catch that fish. So whenever they had caught nothing all night long, there was no fluke. It wasn't just bad fisherman's luck. There just were no fish to catch. So when Jesus tells them to let down their nets and they bring in so many that things begin to break, that's not a fluke. That's a miracle. And Peter, as a fisherman, understood that. He understood that this was no accident. This was no small thing. This was world-changing in his life, right? He realized that this is a man of God unlike any he had ever met. And all the previous meetings that he had had with Jesus and all the stories that he had heard since he had that first meeting begin to fall into place. And he realized at that moment that this is the man that is worth giving up everything for. Now, I want you to notice the faith journey so far, right? Peter is not just, we, we read it and you think, oh, well, Peter, Jesus did this great miracle. And Peter said, whoop, that's great. I'm going to go up and leave this and, and follow this guy wherever he goes. That's not how it went. It was a series of encounters. Peter's given a chance to get to know Jesus. And each time he does, he kind of goes back to his former life. He says, oh, I, oh, that sounds good. It really looks good what you're doing here. And I kind of understand that you're different, but I kind of go back to the comfortable familiar and still fish, right? I'm still going to do this, even though I know you're different, but not, not quite different enough for me to follow you yet. But then he finally gets to the point where he can't escape. C.S. Lewis calls Jesus the hound of heaven, right? Jesus chose Peter first. We make decisions, but it's really Jesus choosing us. What starts as a passing mention becomes this unavoidable presence, this standing in the boat of our lives. Are we going to kick him out? Or are we going to listen and give up everything and follow him? Peter chose a chase after the one that chased after him, and it changed everything in his life. The next three years would be just this completely wild ride, right? Remember, this is Jesus, really, again, the rock star of his day. He had this incredible following. Crowds would follow him everywhere. He performed these incredible miracles. I mean, people were coming out of the grave that were dead, right, for days. This was no just uh, parlor tricks. This was actual God on earth doing incredible things in front of people's eyes. And so everybody wanted to come and see Everyone had to come and see. There were massive crowds. There was lots of food. Every night was another town. Every day was another moment with a bunch of different people. And, and Jesus was teaching and, and, and doing all these crazy things. And it was just overwhelming for Peter and, his, and, and the others who were following Jesus. And what they were experiencing was not just this great upswell of emotional, oh, this is great, all these good things are happening. But as they were doing that, they were running into lots of confrontations. They were running into people, particularly the religious and political leaders of their day, and they were butting heads against them. Jesus was butting heads against those people. And it was that confrontation that would be the death of him. The more he taught, the more those in power realized how much of a threat he was to their power. And see, Jesus was no dummy. He knew this. So while those powerful men plotted to kill him to save themselves, to keep their power, he was going to willingly die 
to save everybody. So on the last week of his life, he entered into the capital city, Jerusalem, on the week of Passover with Peter and the disciples, knowing it was going to be the week of his death. The night before he was crucified, he said this. He said, hey, I'm going to die. On the third day, I'm going to rise again, but I'm, I'm going to die first. And he said that when those people in power, when those religious and political leaders come to take me, and all of you who follow me, who claim that you're going to give up everything for me, all of you are going to run away and protect yourselves. All of you. Now remember, we said Peter was what? Bold and outspoken, right? He was brash. This is Peter. This was not some, some fly-by-the-night guy. He was with, through, with Jesus through thick and thin, no matter what. So we see his confidence in this moment. He says that no matter, else, no matter what else happened, he was going to stick by Jesus to the very end. Luke 22, 33, and 34. We'll have it up on the screen. Peter said to him in that moment, he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and even to death. All right? Here's bold Peter. I'm ready to do this. All right? I gave up everything to follow you. I'm going to go with you to prison and even to death. But Jesus said, I tell you this, Peter. The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter's quick confidence was about to set him up for an even faster failure. In the early morning before the sun rises, the Jewish leaders, they rush in. They arrest Jesus and they take him off to this mock trial. The disciples did just what Jesus said. They go, they all leave. They run away, fearing they're going to be next, except for two, Peter and a man named John. Now, John knows the high priest. He knows this servant girl where they're going to take Jesus to have this mock trial. And so he convinces Peter. He says, hey, we're going to go find out what's happening to him, right? You said you wanted to find out. You said you wanted to follow him. You said you're going to stick by him. I'm going to get you in so you can do that, all right? So they go together. John goes in because he knows the servant girl, and then Peter hangs out by the door because he's not known, so John's got to do some convincing. So Peter waits outside the door in the courtyard. Now in this moment, Peter could run away, right? Because Peter's not just going in to, to stick his neck out for a good friend and get a slap on the hand. He's going in to put his life on the line. Every step he takes closer to Jesus is another step closer to potentially his own death. And so he's standing outside the door to this courtyard, and he's about to go in, but he has in that moment a decision. He could run away. He could say, you know what, that's fine. I, I, I don't want to be bold. I'm going to step off, and I'm going to go back to my old life again. But John gets the servant girl. He says, hey, can you open this door for my guy? I know this guy outside. Can you just let him in? And Peter agrees to go in. Peter, Peter steps closer inside to the courtyard. But now he's got a problem. Because now he's stuck. He's surrounded by people who want Jesus and those who Jesus associates with to be silenced at whatever costs. Now, on the inside, he's trapped by his own confidence, right? He said, I'm going to stand up for you. And then by his own fear, which says, I'm ready to get out of here. I'm not ready to die today. Will he be bold, Peter? Right? Ready to sacrifice and suffer alongside of Jesus? Or will he be cowardly, Peter, who suffers from his shame? John 18, verses 17 and 18 say this. Again, it's going to be up on the screen or in front of you watching online. The servant girl at the door said to Peter when he comes in, right? He's stepping in. He says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Are you with him? The guy that's at the center of all this crazy mess and he's about to get killed? Are you with this guy? Peter says, I'm not. 
Not me. Strike one. Now the servants and the officers, they made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing around, they were warming themselves. And Peter also was with them. He was standing and warming himself. And I imagine maybe he was warming himself up to the idea to be bold like he said he was going to be, right? He was bold in the moment, right? The night before, I'm ready to die with you, Jesus. In the moment of, 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 of trial, in the moment where he can stick his neck out, is he going to? He's already not him one time. He said, well, I'm going to stand by this fire. Maybe I'm going to build up my confidence. Maybe I'm going to be bold enough to walk into that, into that trial and say, I'm with this guy. I'm ready to die just like he is. You're going to kill him, you're going to kill me. First. 25 says, now Peter was standing and warming himself, and so the people around, right, he's surrounded by people who aren't Jesus followers, surrounding the, the fire, said, hey, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? You were them? He said, no, 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 not me, not me. Strike two. Now, every time Peter opens his mouth, I want to put this in context, every time he opens his mouth, he's not only uh, denying Christ, he's, he's really denying who he is, because you see, Peter wasn't from here. He wasn't from Jerusalem, right? It's like me coming up here and talking to you and saying, yeah, I live in Pownall. Well, you don't talk like you live in Pownall because Peter wouldn't have sounded like people from Jerusalem, right? That'd be like a, you know, a, a southern boy going up to, to Manhattan and saying, yeah, I, just, I grew up right down the street. I don't know what y'all's problem is. I'm from here, right? <laughs> no. So every time he's opening his mouth, he's not only saying, no, I don't, I don't, I don't follow this guy. He's saying, I'm not who I really am. Am or who I've professed to be these past three years with Jesus. And he's just, his life, he's in, he's in turmoil inside. He's all churned up. He denies him the second time. Strike two, right? One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose, Peter, uh, whose ear Peter had cut off, that's another story, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied him. Strike three. And at once a rooster crowed. The rooster and the fire. A sound that Peter would have heard growing up time and time again, every morning, in a place of warmth and connection that was just a constant in his life. Both would never be the same again. Every fireside meal, every morning crow, would be a reminder of his failure and his shame in that moment. Big, bold Peter, I'll go to prison. I'll die for you, whatever you want. I'm there. Are you with him? No. Are you with him? No. I'm not that guy. No. Uh uh. Mm, no. Three times. Failed three times. I just blew it once. He blew it all three. Every morning, every fire, every rooster would be a reminder he is screwed up. He had blew it. In the biggest way. Fear can lead us to failure in our lives, just like Peter. If you haven't had that moment in your life, you will. So when you get there, when you've blown it in such a large degree, especially when it comes to relationships like Peter and Jesus, and now you're stuck. You've messed up. <laughs> you, have, you have damaged something that seems to be irreparable. Is there hope? Is there a way back? to the way it was before. As he left that fire, shamed and embarrassed by his failure, Jesus was led away to be crucified. And if Jesus were a mere man, 
another failed revolutionary, that would have been the end of his and Peter's story. And I wouldn't be up here retelling any of it. But what Peter didn't know was that his lowest point would be his turning point. And the turning point of all of human history. Because on the third day, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he got up from the grave. Early in the morning, we see the story right after the resurrection. The women who have been fallen, they said, we got to come take care of Jesus' body. We need to make sure it's, it's, it's preserved as uh, part of their tradition. But when they got there, Jesus wasn't home. <laughs> right? He wasn't there. So they run back to Peter and they said, hey, we found something. We went and looked in this tomb and guess what? Nothing's there, right? You got to come see. So Peter runs and so does John. They run and they go back to look in this grave and they say, whoa, 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 wait, what happened? All they see is grave clothes all no- neatly folded in place. I love that picture, by the way. It tells you that. It says that, that that's all you see. It's all he sees in that grave. I love it because I got kids, and I appreciate finely folded clothes and drawers, all right? So I appreciate the fact that Jesus was nice and neat in his way. He got up, and he folded his clothes, and he left. That's great. That's perfect, right? So he put his, took his pajamas off and put them up. That's perfect. And so, uh, you know, he, he did that. And so Peter was there, and Peter says, whoa, everything's, everything's changed, right? Of all the miracles done, done so far by Jesus, this was the greatest. It changed everything, but did it change Peter's failure? Peter was obviously excited at the moment because Jesus had won, right? Death wasn't the end for Jesus, which means it wasn't the end for Peter. But he still had to face that failure. Now that Jesus had actually risen from the grave, now actually his problem was kind of compounded, right? Because now at some point in his life, he's going to have to face the man he had publicly failed. Whenever we blew it or blow it with people, I think a lot of times I've seen it happen. You want to get as far away from that person as possible, don't you? If it's at work, you want to leave work. You're like, I don't want to ever go back to that place again. I'm ready to change careers if it takes that. I don't want to be back there. But if it's with a person especially in your life, you're like, oh, man, ah, yeah, yeah, I have so screwed up. Let me, I just want to leave town. I don't want to, I'll unfriend them on Facebook. I'll unfollow on Instagram. I don't want to do anything, have anything to do with them. They can live their life. I'll live mine. I don't want to deal with it. We don't want to face that person because we have to face our own failure. And so Peter had a bigger problem. Now the man that he thought was dead is risen, and now he's going to have to face him. So the question that was running through his mind was probably, is he going to reject me as I did him? Or is he going to have mercy on me, even though I don't deserve it? Peter's about to find out. After the resurrection... Peter was unsure of his place. And when you don't know what to do, you go back to what you know how to do. And so Peter goes back to fish. And he goes back with his partners and his friends, and they head out and they work all night. And guess what? They catch nothing. (laughs) They don't catch anything. And now Peter's probably thinking, three years of my life, I failed Jesus. I was in the moment. I could have stood up for him. I didn't. Now, you know, he's resurrected, but I don't know where I stand with him. And, and I come out to fish because I know how to fish. I'm good at that. And now he's, I'm, I can't even fish. I'm not even good at that anymore. And he's compounding this failure over and over in his mind. The shame's just building up and up and higher and higher and higher. And he's coming back in and the boats are coming back in and they haven't caught anything. And it's early in the morning, but the sun's just starting to come up. And as the morning light comes on, a man appears on the shore. 
And he says exactly what everybody says when they see somebody fishing. What do you ask him when you see somebody fishing? Catch anything? Thank you. That's right. Have you caught anything yet? Every time I paddle by somebody on a river, I'm always, I, it's a dumb question. I don't know why I ask it. I guess I just want to feel pretty friendly. I always say, hey, have you caught anything yet? And what does the fisherman say? No. <laughs> right? Most of the time, no, no, they're out biting the day. I hadn't caught anything. Maybe this other spot will be right. This, oh, it's, this is the same story every time. I could retell it. I, I can play the conversation before I have the conversation, right? So here's this man on the shore, and he yells out, hey, you caught anything yet? And they're about 100, 150 yards off, so he's got to yell, all right? So, caught anything yet? And the fishermen say, Peter, Peter and the disciple, no, no, we ain't caught anything. And the man says this. He says, hey, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? And I'm sure they were like, you don't think we've been on both sides of this boat already? I think we know what we're doing, right? We've already done this. We've been out all night. We haven't caught anything. Well, I, well why not? It's one more cast. What's one more cast going to hurt? So they throw it out there, and they haul in so many fish that they couldn't even barely bring them in. The boats begin to sink (laughs) again. John, who was fishing with Peter, just like that first day many, many years ago, catches on first. He says, hey, that that guy, that guy is yelling. That's not some random guy just wondering if we fish anything. That's Jesus. That's got to be Jesus, right? It's the same thing. Come on, everybody. We've been through this story already, right? This is Jesus. Now, presumptuous Peter, he hears and does what he does best, which is act before he thinks. And so he puts on his clothes because he's stripped down. He puts on his cloak, and he jumps off and just dives into the water. And he swims 100 yards to shore. Now, he's, again, fisherman, great swimmer, no problem swimming, right? So he takes off and swims 100 yards to the shore and leaves everybody else. I appreciate this. He's so excited. He's like, all right, I, 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 I know, I'm not even thinking about my failure. It's like, oh, there's Jesus. Let me go see him. And then he jumps in and, and swims, 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 swims. And everybody else is like, hey, well, I guess we just got to haul these fish in by ourselves. Thanks, Peter, for leaving us high and dry over here, right? Let me haul these nets in. And uh, so Peter's gone. And I'm sure the more he swam, because it's a long way, the more he started thinking, well, what am I going to say when I get there, though? I mean, I'm excited to see Jesus, because... You know, he's back, and that's great news. But what, are we going to talk about that weird thing? I don't, I don't want to talk about that weird thing. So when he makes it up ashore, he walks up, and he sees Jesus sitting next to a fire. And maybe, we're not told exactly, but it's early in the morning. So odds are, you might hear a rooster crow. And Peter is probably thinking, at this moment, He's going to have to eat his failure for breakfast. So they all sit down. Jesus says, come on, sit down. Let's have some fish for breakfast together. They sit down and they eat. John 21, 15 through 17 says this. It's up here if you want to listen or read along with me. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus was asking him to affirm what he had already known. 
If he loved him, why didn't he say so when he had the chance? If he loved him, why didn't he say so when it really mattered? It's one thing to say I love you when there's nothing on the line. It's another matter entirely when the the fate of a man's life is at stake. The, the, The fate of a relationship is at stake. Do you love me? I'm not with this guy. Peter, do you love me? His heart's breaking. Peter says, Lord, he says, you know everything. There's no fool in you. You know I failed. But you also know that even in my failure, that I'm sorry and that I, I do love you. I messed up. I messed up. And Jesus said, feed my sheep then. Three times, Peter failed Jesus. And three times, Jesus restored him. Jesus could have said, I don't want to see you ever again. Jesus could have embarrassed him. Jesus could have said, Peter, it's too late. I don't want people following me who don't really mean it. I don't want people following me who run away when times get tough. I don't want people to say they love me when it's convenient. Go home. Three times he says, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Then do what I called you to do the first time. Love me. Follow me with everything you've got and love those in your life that maybe have rejected you or that you have rejected. Feed them. Don't make it about you. Make your life about me and about them. Three times Jesus restored him, he redeemed him, and he recalled him to his purpose. See, our failures don't have to be final. He took Peter, a man who was broken, a man who was ashamed, a man who wanted to be strong, a hardworking, industrious, brash, outspoken young man who had it all under control, who knew who he was, who was confident in his being, who was a great fisherman, a great uh, uh, husband, a great man who was ready to do everything, who had failed, blew it in the biggest of fashions, who was shattered and broken. And Jesus said, I'm going to take you, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to make you who are weak, I'm going to make you strong, stronger than you've ever been. Not in your own strength, but in mine. He takes us in our weaknesses. He takes us in our failure and makes us strong. Makes something good out of our nothing good. So if you're here this morning, and you have maybe had a conversation or two with Jesus like Peter had. But in moments of decision, you've always said, I'd rather be fishing. I'd rather be doing whatever. I'm not ready to do all this just yet. I'm not ready to go all in with you, Jesus, just yet, because that means an awful lot, and it does. It will cost you everything. It's not cheap. It's priceless. And so if you want a life lived on purpose with a God that loves you 
even when you fall on your face. Every time you fall on your face. And it simply comes by calling out to him, by praying to him, by saying, Jesus, I know that you lived, died, and you did rise again. That it's no metaphysical act. It's your physical body risen from the grave. And in that moment, you have proven that you are God, and that means you have authority over me. <laughs> that means I am not. And that means I want to give everything up to follow you because you have given up everything for me. So we're going to let you, or I'm going to give you, rather than let you do anything, we're going to give you the opportunity to have that moment with Jesus, to open up to him, to be honest, to follow him today in just a minute. For believers, I want us to take a time, take some time this morning to identify an area of our lives where we failed. It could be a relationship. It could be in our faith. It could be in our family. It could be in our job. Whatever the case is, one thing where you're like, man, I have blown it and there's just no going back. <laughs> I can't go back. We all have them. It might take us a minute to remember them, like me, but we all have them. Think of an area where that shame is lurking. And we need to answer this question this morning. Are we running away from Jesus, embarrassed that we blew it? Or are we coming back to the fires of our failure and finding the forgiveness, restoration, and hope that can only come from him? then are we carrying it to those we have hurt? Let's think and pray on that this morning. All heads bowed, all eyes shut. For those of you online and in person, again, I wanted to say, here's your opportunity. Peter had several chances in his life to, call, to respond to the call of Christ, to follow him, to go all in on Jesus. It cost him everything. but It gave him everything, too. More than everything, anything you could imagine, he was, was restored and fulfilled to him as he led a life that was like no other. If that's you and you're ready to give up and give in to Jesus and live a life that's out of this world, amazing, <laughs> it's unlike anything, you may even think it is. Here's how you do it. You simply pray. You simply call out to, to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm a sinful man or woman. I've messed up. I've blown it more times than I can count. I don't tell anybody, <laughs> but I know it. And you do. And yet, Lord, I hear that you forgive me, that you restore me, that things with you can be made good, and that you're going to help me make good with others. I don't know how that's going to work out, but I want it. I want a life like that because I've failed on my own. Lord, help me to follow you with all that I got. Never let go, no matter what. If that's you and you said a prayer like that, you may have said that prayer before. Peter, again, had that conversation several times, but you're saying this time, this at the fire of my failure, this is the moment where I'm ready to go all in. This is the miracle of my life that I've seen in need to respond to that call and to give it all up, because none of what I'm doing ain't working. And I just ask that you slip your hand up in, in person. I'm not going to call you out. I don't want to put you on the spot. I just want you to follow up with you after, because, again, it's, it's changed. It changes you. I'm, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Again, it costs. It's, a good, it's worth it. It's a worth it. It's worth it. Amen. For those of you online, like or love a comment we're going to post there. We want to follow up with you as well. Now let's pray as we close out.
for everyone here. Dear Jesus, Lord, we need you. I need you. Let me start with me first, Lord. I, I, I don't want to speak. I don't want to be presumptuous and speak for everybody here. God, I need you in my failure. God, I'm going to fail today. I'm going to fail tomorrow and probably every day this week. And God, I'm probably going to fail you. But God, my hope, my joy is not in my own ability. It's in the hope and promise of you, God, that loves and forgives me and restores me. Lord, I don't want to use that as an excuse to continue falling on my face. God, I want to use that as a reason to get up and try again each and every day, God, to make you proud of me. God, I pray that as a prayer over all of our lives, God, that we get up today, that we stand up in here in just a few minutes, God, and we stand up in your love knowing that no matter how many times we have failed you or failed others in our lives, that our failure isn't final, that in you and the death and resurrection of Jesus is our hope, that there's nothing else on earth like it. There's nothing else we need. So God, let us stand boldly in it, not in our own strength, but in yours. And God, give that love out to somebody this week. God, to be restored by you in this moment, knowing that we are ashamed and have failed, but that you are wiping us clean, that you are building us up. God, in taking that love, that power, that out of this world power to others in our lives this week. Let it be real in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. For those of you in person, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We can't wait. Can't wait to see you again. We'll hopefully see you next Sunday at 10 or Thursdays at 630. Uh, Either way, keep an eye on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our webpage, Faith Church VT, for all info. And uh, we can't wait to see you guys next time.